Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Food for Thought, where we talk about anything and everything as it pertains to health, wellness, and being your best self. I'm Carissa McKay, one of the health promotion specialists in Edmonton, and today we are going to dive into mental health. We'll talk about the need for destigmatization through our language and how we talk about mental health injuries, how we need to change our actions and role model the positive behaviors that will promote help seeking and provide each other the space to say, hey, I'm not okay. And getting people to the place where they're all okay with that. And today I'm joined by Nicole Emerson, my awesome co-health promotion specialist here in Edmonton. Welcome back, Nicole. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here and to dive into this important and timely conversation with this being the week of Bell Let's Talk. And for anyone who doesn't know about Bell Let's Talk and the campaign, it was launched in 2010 with a focus on building awareness, acceptance and action in mental health. And on the official Bell Let's Talk website, they note that since then, Canadians have taken the conversation around mental health to remarkable heights, making it clear that mental health matters. It's time to build on that increased awareness and acceptance and put a greater focus on action to create positive change in our schools, our workplaces, and our communities. That's such a great quote, Nicole. And I think that Bell Let's Talk has definitely moved the needle on mental health. But before we start a conversation about mental health and how to improve it, maybe you can clear up for everyone what we're talking about. Because for many people, the terms mental health and mental illness are used interchangeably, but they do mean different things. Yes, for sure. So according to the Canadian Mental Health Association or the CMHA, mental illnesses are disturbances in thoughts, feelings, and perceptions that are severe enough to affect day-to-day functioning. So some examples Examples are anxiety or major depression. And by age 40, about half of people in Canada will have or have had a mental illness. Mental health, however, is a state of well-being and we all have it. Some signs of good mental health are enjoying life, having a sense of purpose and being able to manage life's highs and lows. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying that, because I think that's really important distinction to make. And clearly, the Bell Let's Talk campaign has had a positive impact on propelling the conversation around mental health forward, or at least moving it out of the dark recesses of the things we don't talk about, but we know it can't stop there. These important conversations are only a first step in destigmatizing mental health conditions. Exactly. Experiences of stigma and discrimination are some of the greatest barriers to seeking help when dealing with a mental illness. Stigma means thinking less of a person because of their condition and can make a person feel unwanted or shamed. So it's no big surprise that it's a huge barrier. Yet it's the perception that mental illness is different from physical illness that perpetuates the stigma. Mental illness is not self-inflicted. No one chooses to have a mental health injury and it's not a matter of of sucking it up and carrying on, which unfortunately is language commonly used and heard both in military context as well as in general population. For sure. And it's such an unfortunate truth. When it comes to the pressure that people place on themselves to suck it up and try to deal with it on their own, the reality is that they can't. What we need people to know is that it's okay to not be okay. No one is bulletproof. No one should expect themselves to deal with their mental injury on their own, just like we wouldn't be expected to cast a broken bone on our own, which is good. But I did recently listen to another podcast with Michael Landsberg, who everybody I'm sure is familiar with, and he's been very open about his own struggles with anxiety and depression. And the message that he's conveying is that mental illness is a sickness, not a weakness. And if people could understand that, the stigma would disappear. Because knowing that two out of three people suffer in silence, fearing judgment and rejection is more than enough evidence that there needs to be a call to action and a call for change. And that's that comes from the CMHA. 
two out of three people suffer in silence. That's huge and cannot and should not be ignored. Stigma is clearly a problem and the military community is not immune to that stigma. Until mental health injuries are treated the same way as physical injuries, the stigma will remain. Acceptance of seeking help needs to be extended to any injury, visible or not. The question is, how do we get to a place where this kind of thinking is the norm? How can these behaviors be role modeled within our military community? I think that if you think back to how mental illness has been treated through the centuries, that's kind of the core of why it's been so marginalized. That lack of understanding made it something that was easier to fear than to deal with in a humane fashion. So if you dehumanize the sufferer, it's easier to not do anything or to treat them as lesser than. And that's not to say that that's how the majority of people, either in the military or the general public, for that matter, treat those with mental illness. And yet, it is that fear that keeps people from changing or doing the right thing. It's still a pervasive and prevalent mindset. The other piece of the stigma, I think, is the guilt by association aspect that comes with it. No one wants to stand out and be noticed, whether that's for doing the right thing or the wrong thing. So when we're asking people to shift their language, their behavior, their actions, we're asking them to be different than they are or their peer group is. And let's face it, peer pressure is alive and well everywhere you look. So if we want to make a change, we need champions who are willing to take that risk and use that acceptable language to show by how they treat others or deal with mental challenges themselves that it isn't a deal or career breaker. Those champions, especially if they are supervisors or in leadership roles or are those charismatic influencers, will cause a shift in those around them because now they're setting a standard that others are going to want to aspire to. And we've heard it in our classes, people who say their boss puts going to mental health on their whiteboard outside their office or supervisors who shared their journey back to mental wellness and how that was the thing that made it acceptable to seek help and get better. It's those personal stories and examples that really move people. Absolutely. And taking these steps and making positive change helps. And just to further highlight what we can do, looking at the Bell Let's Talk website, it describes five ways that we can work towards ending stigma. And they say the first thing is language matters. So the words that we use can really make a difference and start to normalize that again, mental injuries or mental illness is no different than a physical injury or illness. Educate yourself. Knowing the facts and myths about mental illness can be a great way to help end stigma. The next thing is to be kind. Simple acts of kindness can help open the conversation and let someone know you are there for them without judgment. The next one is listen and ask. Being a good listener and asking how you can help can be the first step in recovery. And the last point that they make is to talk about it. Mental illness touches us all in some way, directly or through a friend, family member, or colleague. Most people with mental health issues can and do recover just by talking about it. What we need to remember is that no one is immune to mental illness, just like no one is immune to breaking a bone. Mental illness is a very common form of human pain and suffering. Over a course of a lifetime, we're going to experience pain and sadness and disappointment and failure. And these feelings are normal. They're part of life. But in some cases, these feelings may not go away or become severe enough to interfere with regular daily activities. And it doesn't mean that you're weak. It means that you're human. We've heard how the pandemic has affected people's mental health from socially distancing to lockdowns. It's been a lot and it's nothing that we've experienced before. 
The pandemic has challenged all of our mental health and knowing that the stigma around mental health was still there makes it difficult to talk about it. So I'm curious, Krista, what would you tell someone who may be struggling? Well, I think that we can just take a page out of that Bell Let's Talk campaign points that you just mentioned. And first of all, notice, notice what is going on with the people around you and care enough to see when things might be shifting. Like you said, we all have bad hair days. And sometimes the most cathartic thing is to just be able to get it off our chest. So when we all use, and I'm guilty of it, that tired opening line in almost any conversation, how are you doing? A, really mean it. And B, if you see that they're clearly not doing that great, follow up with something like, you don't seem great. Did something happen today, this morning or whatever? Or maybe something like, if you need to talk, I'm here. Or if it's something that you've been noticing for a while, perhaps you really seem down or troubled or preoccupied. Again, fill in the blanks with whatever you're noticing and then follow up with, are you okay? I'm worried because this isn't like you. We all need to be noticed. We all need to feel like we belong. And if someone else throws out that invitation, it's so much easier than having to be the one to screw up your courage and blurt out that you're having a hard time. It's not something that's easy to admit. And while we say it all the time, we've said it in our briefings for the last couple of years, that it's a sign of strength or courage to ask for help. It's still way easier to acknowledge that you need help because someone else gave a crap and provided you that opening. They asked you genuinely, how are you doing? (laughs) Sorry, that was a a super long answer, but you know me. But the other point that I wanted to make was that the other thing we could do is to just become more aware of how we are personally doing. That self-awareness, I think, is really key. And yes, self-awareness kind of slips as we sort of get into a, a darker place, but we know that we're really good at putting on masks and armoring up and pretending like everything is okay taken a page out of Brene Brown's book there. But if we can acknowledge when that armor is starting to either get too heavy or we're just tired of pretending, it allows us to sit with whatever those feelings are and be maybe open to answering more honestly when someone throws out that, how are you really doing sentence? So we don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend to be bulletproof. And yeah, it's important to practice mental fitness exercises 100%, but that's not always going to be enough. Even though we know that they're going to help us to better develop our ability to deal with challenges that life throws at us, we need to have the people in our lives throw us that sort of lifeline, as it were. Thanks, Krista. You bring up some excellent points there. And that segue into talking about mental fitness, because we do talk about that in our mental fitness suicide awareness program and the importance of making that a priority. We need to work on and develop our mental muscle to better prepare us for life's hardships. Part of building that mental fitness is doing purposeful exercise that train your brain to better deal with stress, like practicing deep breathing to calm down and counteract the stress response while regaining your higher level thinking or using goal setting to bring structure to a chaotic situation. The more you practice these skills, the more easily they kick in when you need them. But we also know that these exercises are like the other life-saving skill we learn as kids, and that's treading water. Making mental fitness a priority like physical fitness is important because both can be improved, both can be tested and sometimes set us back, and both can be treated. And we need to be able to tread water when we fall into the water. Being both physically and mentally strong will allow us to tread water longer. But even Michael Phelps can only keep that up for so long. We all have a breaking point and we all need to get pulled out of the water at some point or we are going to end up going under. It's definitely a double-edged sword. 
yeah, we owe it to ourselves and those we work with to do everything that we can do individually to make sure that we are quote unquote good to go. We need to do all the things that we talk about all the time eat well, exercise, both physically and mentally, as you just described. But we also have to recognize that there are things that are fully out of our control. The pandemic has really just shone the light onto all the problems that were already there and highlighted the places that we should have been working on making things better a long time ago. But it is also something that is obviously totally out of control. But all the supply chain, financial, healthcare, education, and every other challenge out there still affects us. And the only thing we can do is our best to cope with it. It's when those coping strategies start to fail us or we start choosing the wrong ones that we end up in a real mess. Comfort cannot be found at the bottom of a 2-6 or at the end of a marathon gaming session or the bottom of a package of cannabis gummies or whatever. If there are cracks in the armor, then we need to be okay admitting that because the damage that we can do to not only ourselves, but those around us when we continue to deny that there is a problem is only going to make all the problems worse. Real courage is facing the fact that we're all going to need help. No one can solve their mental health challenges on their own. That is, at best, wishful thinking, and at worst, dangerous to that person and everybody around them. Oh, absolutely. If what we need is people role modeling, getting, offering, and receiving help and benefiting from it, the worst thing is if people are seeing the exact opposite, denial, blaming, shaming. That doesn't help anyone and really only exacerbates the problem. Even though it's like that old problem of being able to get the horse to water, but not making them drink it, we can do all that we can to model that good, healthy, right things to do. But all it takes is one person who, for whatever reason, doesn't buy that and chooses instead to model the exact opposite. Then it's sort of like one step forward, two steps back the influence they may have on people who now have had their fears of coming forward and getting help reinforced by someone like that can be so, so damaging. Right? It's like the speech bubbles that we've used for Bell Let's Talk. And this year, we're hoping that we can get people to think about two things to write on them. One, the most helpful thing anyone ever said to you about mental health. And two, the least helpful thing, because we need to shine the light on that. And for lack of a better word, stamp it out. We need to be intolerant of those who are intolerant. Bystander intervention isn't just for first aid or sexual misconduct. People need to call out people who are saying things that hinder people's beliefs that it is okay to get help. Those who downplay or mock the need to get help the most are typically the ones who most desperately need it. Final thoughts, Nicole? Well, I think just talking about mental health education, sharing stories, normalizing the conversation around it's okay to not feel okay, are just some of the things we can do to move us in the right direction. Call out those who are undermining those efforts. Be brave and share your story because it will likely inspire others to do the same. If we want to move the needle, we all have to put it out there and the more we do that, the more we toss those proverbial pebbles into the pond, the more those ripples are going to touch others and hopefully ignite in others the desire to pass the torch so that we can not only get out of this pandemic generally, but maybe get out of it with better mental health than we went into it. Love it. Thank you so much 
That was way too short. And I think that we could have spent another hour talking about the importance of mental health. And hopefully people are taking advantage of all of the different activities that are going on around Bell Let's Talk this year. I know that there are some virtual platform discussions that are happening. There's the speech bubbles that we talked about. So check out your local social media and anywhere that you would normally get information about stuff that's happening and, and tune into it because education is power. Knowledge doesn't necessarily always result in behavior change, but it plants the seed that sometimes gets us doing those things that we maybe ought to know that we should be doing. Maybe that's a redundant sentence, but you know what I mean. Just get out there, learn more and participate. And that's how we're going to move things and continue to move things forward positively for everybody. So be brave, speak up and speak out and let's help all of us enjoy better mental health. Join us again in a couple of weeks for another episode of Food for Thought. But in the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip flop.